Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. I'm Adam Woodhams. And I'm Jenny Dillon. We're both horticulturalists and in each episode we'll be dishing the dirt on all things gardening, guiding you through the season and taking a look at what's hot and what's not and how you can keep things thriving in your own little patch of paradise. In this episode we're going to give you all you need to know about pruning roses and we've got loads of fantastic tips on caring for your citrus and harvesting your fruit. Plus, we've got a fantastic interview with Marone Mayot from Tree Movals, all about how they move those big trees in and out of landscapes. And don't forget, Milton Black will be here to give us his tips for gardening by the moon. You're listening to Garden Better from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Across spring and summer and even into autumn, that beautiful, beautiful look and fragrance of roses in the garden, they are just amazing, are they not, Jen? They make you stop in your tracks. And now... This time of year, not so much. No. Really. That's kind of all that foliage is gone. And well, yeah, they're just, yeah, just yeah. about finished. Yeah, mm. any, any foliage that's there might be looking pretty yellow and horrible and mm. you've basically most likely got lots of really ugly thorny sticks in the garden. But that is actually just how we want them at this time of year, isn't it, Jen? We want them to be all naked and free like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it, Adam. <laughs> well, I was actually thinking about the fact that it is rose pruning time. This is the time of year then. You do some work now on your roses and that is what gives you those beautiful blooms come spring and summer because how many times have you seen it, you know, the old guy down the road with these incredible rose bushes just totally and utterly covered in blooms. The secret is in the pruning. It That's, really is. Yeah. That's, the, that's why you prune. That's why you cut it back. But there's lots of other reasons too. I mean, it's really important, I think. I mean, why do you prune? Well, you get rid of all the dead and diseased and dying canes. Um, also, you want to improve the appearance of the, of the, um, of the bush. You've got some canes growing in all odd directions, cutting across each other. Air circulation is really important, especially if you're in a humid, humid area. Um, you've got to keep the centre of the rose bush really, really clear for that air to go through. And then there's the other little thing is that happens with grafted roses is that you get suckers at the base. Just mm. get rid of those. Yes, indeed. That's that's the most common thing when you talk to people at, at garden shows and things and they say, I've got a problem with my rose. It hasn't flowered for years. And the first question often is, is the growth coming from below the clear graft? And yeah. you can normally see that graft because you'll have a, a straight trunk coming up and then you'll have a stem out the side and that stem out the side is actually the grafted bit. And if it's coming from below that, then it's going to be a section of rose that really is not going to flower particularly well because it's what they call the understock. Mm. So you need to be cutting that off, making sure that's gone. And that can often be very vigorous too, can't it? Absolutely, yeah. 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 It's, uh, the old-fashioned gardeners used to call it the water shoots. You know, they'd just rock it right up at, at high speed. But that's the thing with roses. They're such vigorous growers in the warm seasons that you end up with, you know, this 
neatly pruned framework. When you look at it again, the the next winter season and it's all bare, you think that couldn't be the same rose. There's just so much rampant growth has happened across one season. I know, and it's the time for tough love. You've really got to cut it back. Yeah, well, and the important thing to remember too is that roses flower best on new wood. So you don't want it filled up with all old wood and all that, mm. that really solid stuff in the center, which it does by the nature of rose bushes can often get quite diseased and things too. Mm. So you need to get in there and trim out that old wood. As you said, open up the center. That's really important, creating the framework of the plant. And the big problem that people always talk about with roses is fungal problems. And that's, as you said, air circulation. So you keep that framework nice and open. You can get good air movement through the bush and that reduces the humidity and therefore the, the likelihood of fungal disorders. So we're going to um, prune our rose bushes. Uh, what do we need? Well, you, first thing you need is a very good quality, sharp pair of secateurs. And sharp is is the key word there because you need to have really nice quality cuts on every single thing, every single cut that you're making. It needs to be good, not crushing the stem at and all. And how do you make that cut? You need to make the cut. You, the important thing is to remember you can prune a lot of rose bushes, but I always stick to the philosophy of that take a little bit off, step back, have a look at it because you can take more off but yeah. you can't put it back on. You can't. Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> Ask any carpenter about cutting. That's exactly right. So you can you can make your cuts a, a few times and until you feel you've got the shape right. But the important thing is that you want to make your pruning cut to just above an outward-facing bud. Now, mm. these will be obvious even in winter. They're the little buds that are sitting dormant waiting for spring. Mm-hmm. And you want a bud that's on the outside of the stem. Now, make the cut about about a centimetre above that bud and slope it back to the inside of the bush. So the, the highest point of the cut is on the on the outside of the bush and the lowest point's on the inside. And it's really important that you do cut it at an angle, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, there's a couple of things happen there that makes sure that the bud has still got a lot of security within the wood, but it's also making sure moisture doesn't build up on top of the yeah. cut, which then leads to fungal problems down through the stem and the core of the plant. And talking about fungal problems, I mean, if you've got a whole line of rose bushes, you've got to make sure that you clean your secateurs every time you move from one bush to the next. Yeah, that's that's a really important thing. Roses are known for getting viruses and also, obviously, transfer of fungal problems. So if you've got a few roses to prune, I recommend either having just like a little cup of methylated spirits, because metho is fantastic as a sterilizing agent, or have it just in a little puffer pack. And between bushes, you need to uh, give your, your secateurs a dip into that metho or spray them with a puffer pack and then wipe them down with a clean rag before you move on to pruning the next plant. Don't forget the gloves. Don't forget the gloves. Oh, yes. Try and find long ones too. They call them long gauntlet gloves and they go about halfway up up your forearms. Really need those because you just get so many prickles from those (laughs) bushes. (laughs) And uh, you know one I like to do as well, because I've, I've fallen for this mistake myself, is you, you prune a couple of rose bushes and you're just throwing everything over your shoulder and you end up with a big pile you've <gasps> got to multiply handle. Keep a big garbage bin or something with you and put all the cutting straight, straight into, into the it. bin yeah. so that you're not actually having to double or double triple handle, handle all yeah. of this stuff. And then I always recommend after you've pruned, even though it's winter and they're dormant, give them a good feed with a quality rose food mm-hmm. and then my favourite, loosen mulch. mulch. Loosen mulch is absolutely brilliant for roses. And then come spring, they are going to go crazy. Gangbusters. Now, without doubt, Jen, I reckon the most popular fruit trees would have to be citrus. You know, we've got varieties for just about everywhere around the country. What do you reckon? Well, 
you just haven't grown up in Australia without a lemon tree in the back garden. No, it's very true, isn't it? That's I, I can't think of people that did not have a lemon tree in the back garden. Hey, bit of absolute trivia for you as well. I've made many a visit out to Norfolk Island and there's very, very old lemon trees growing out there and they're the classic thorny, wrinkly oh, yeah. old lemon yeah. that is thought that they were actually, in fact, on the island before the first fleeters arrived there. And it How'd was thought that there? some Polynesians put them there when they were travelling down to places like New Zealand, which is fascinating in itself. But there was an enormous lemon industry out on Norfolk Island and one of the things they used to do was use the seeds to create the understock for growing roots back on the mainland. So they would send the seeds and and little shot plants back to the mainland and that would be used for grafting for citrus on the Australian market. So there actually is a chance, you know, that thorny old lemon that people had in the backyard, there is a chance that you actually have a very old variety of lemon tree that originated from Norfolk Island in your backyard. Bit of history. (laughs) Are they as rebellious as the bounty guys? (laughs) Pretty much. And you don't want to back into one either, a bounty guy or one of those thorny old lemons. Yep, absolutely. Now, a mature lemon tree, a lot of people don't realise this. They think a few fruit, a handful of fruit. No. There are records of mature lemon trees producing literally thousands of fruit yeah. off one tree. I mean, it just, is what can you do incredible. with so many lemons? That's a lot of lemon jam and lemon yeah. butter and, and lemonade, isn't it? It's but that's just, what you see often in offices. You know, people come in with bags, sacks of lemons, just having to give them away. Because mm, they, they, they do have that tendency of, of, gra- of uh, all popping up all at once, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you plant a grafted tree, if you're going to put a citrus in, most of the citrus that you buy will be grafted. And mm-hmm. that means, as I mentioned before, basically the plant you want is grafted onto the top of a different sort of understock because yes. that understock is stronger and more vigorous and that sort of thing. When you put them in, most of them will want a fruit the first year round. But I've found from experience, and some growers have backed this up as well, it's a good idea to move that, uh, remove that first year's fruit. Don't let the tree fruit the first year it's no, in the ground. No, because it's taking up too much energy. It needs to really develop its strength over the next couple of years. Yeah, that's right. You want it, you want it building up its root system and you want it building strong branches because, yes. you know, often those new plants, they've only got very thin branches. And yeah. if you suddenly have three full size lemons hanging off the end of it, you know what's going to happen to that branch. Yeah, it's going to fall <laughs> off. <laughs> now, the way you can manage fruit on citrus varieties varies a lot and it gets very confusing because there's so much hybridization now isn't mm-hmm. there with the with the different citrus with the you know lemons crossed with with mandarins crossed with limes well, crossed you can with get oranges. three in one pot yeah, yeah you do you get those multigraphs which yes. are which are even even more confusing but the funny thing is that citrus allow you to still be picking fruit well into winter mm-hmm. and and that's in fact a really good thing because they're they're a great fruit to have around at, at this time of year very rich in vitamin c of course and there's there's many thoughts that vitamin c is fantastic when you you're trying to ward off coughs and colds well this is this is the best time of the year for fruit because guess what's on the market mandarins yes can't get enough you know i could come back home with a bag full probably 20 24 mandarins and they're gone in a couple of days (laughs) mandarins are like that aren't they They they're absolutely fantastic but the interesting thing is that some of the citrus the fruit can be what they describe as being stored on the tree so Mm -hmm. you don't actually need to pick it and in fact most citrus you do want to wait until they're completely ripe before Mm -hmm. you pick them and mandarins are a great one i've i've found that the the trick with picking when a mandarin's ready to pick is to 
check the skin and it will just be starting to lift away from the flesh. You yeah. just get a little bit of a little bit of feeling like there's padding underneath. Mm. That's when a mandarin, when you pick it off the tree, is just going to be absolutely perfect okay. to eat. Well, see, my girls will have been hanging out for mandarins for ages and ages and I've said, well, okay, these ones are just still too tight. They're not fleshy enough. They're not going to be sweet enough. And just now the, the fleshy... Open mandarins that are coming they're, out. They're just they're, coming right, yeah. yeah. And they're so sweet. Yeah, but lemons and limes are the best ones that you can pick a little bit early. But mm-hmm. but others like the, uh, the the grapefruits, you need a lot of patience, and they mm-hmm. need to they need to ripen on the tree. They take about six to eight months for the Otherwise fruit to ripen. Otherwise, they're too sour. Yeah. <laughs> they're an acquired taste, aren't no, no, they? No, no, no. If you pick them too early, they just, they just, I know if they if you wait till they're mature, they are sweet. You don't yeah, need the, to put sugar on. Yeah, you do have a difference on. in the, in the taste. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But that, and I think that's the thing that people have probably gotten used to the, the mass market, supermarket type fruit, which of course they do pick early and they pick it for convenience. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to transport well and everything. And it never quite gets that taste. I mean, I know the difference myself between navel oranges when I was a kid and that were bought from the fruit and veg as opposed to the navel oranges that you get today from a supermarket there's a great big difference in the taste or of course a navel orange that comes off a tree Mm, absolutely yeah and that's a good point too it's there's different characteristics with how things color up depending on where you are in the country. So, for instance, if you're down in the southern states, you'll find that uh, something like a navel orange goes a very distinctly orange color when it's ripe. But if you're up my region in the subtropics, it's not unusual for the fruit to still hold a lot of green even when it's completely ripe. So it can take a little bit of local knowledge before you know when these things can be ready to pick. Yep. Now, what about the um, the native citrus? Oh, I love them, aren't they? They 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 are a truly weird and wacky fruit that are just I I think they're fantastic. We're talking about here the finger limes, which come from the ugliest little tree you could imagine, tiny tiny leaves, lots of spikes, just like most citruses, and then they produce these little fat fingers of limes, and they just look so ugly. But the, it's when you open them up and you just this fruit spills out. Like beads of caviar. That, that's what amazes me. They're like little beads of caviar, except that each one will pop in your mouth yes. with this incredibly intense citrus flavour. Yes, it's an absolute sensation. And you can use them. They're not used enough, but you can use them in all sorts of food, your seafoods, your salads, turn them into marmalade. Just the most wonderful things. I think everyone should have one. Yeah, I, I agree. And they, they do quite well in pots too, as mm-hmm. a lot of citrus do very well in pots. Hey, one pest watch thing at this time of year, there is a bit oh, of yes. a bug that you can get on citrus called the citrus gall wasp. And that's where yeah. you get that horrible swelling on the stem. Yeah. So how would you get rid of that? I would just go out and chop it off. Yeah. With the, a sharp the, knife. The, there's nothing else you can do apart from cutting it off. You basically need to, to cut below the gall. So mm-hmm. cut that whole stem off and dispose of it. Wrap that up in something and dispose of it in the rubbish. Don't put it in the compost or anything. Mm. And it is actually important to do it at this time of year because those wasps will get active again yeah, uh, about once August, the weather warms up. Yeah, August yeah. is about the time that they hatch and then you've got more of them. So that, that is a bit, of a, a bit of a bug to look for. And now winter is a good time to be moving a lot of trees and citrus are one of those trees that are known for being reasonably transplantable. So why don't we get an expert in to talk to us about moving trees, Jen? Okay. Who have you got? We've got Marone Mayad from Tree Movals. The name says it all, moving, not removing. Now, it's a very specialised field, moving trees. How on earth did you get into that? 
Yeah, well, we've always sort of, uh, I've always grown up in the industry, so I've always had had the nursery sort of working in the nursery and around nurseries. And um, my father got into uh, transplanting uh, back in the early 80s. Uh, did a big job in um, in Darling Harbour, which was the, the original Darling Harbour development. Uh, we moved hundreds of palms in and out of that place, and uh, mainly in. And... Um, and from there on, he's just moved on and, and done more and more work and different jobs all over the place. And uh, a few years back, about 15, 16 years ago, we split the business. So we stopped doing the smaller stock and moving into just doing transplanting. Um, and we still grow um, other trees as well, but mainly, uh, well, a bit of both really, transplanting and and um, and nursery-grown trees. So Now, yeah. I, I assume you don't just send a gang out with a heap of shovels and try and dig something up. Have you got have you got specialist equipment for some of this stuff? I mean, because I've seen the size of some of the things you guys move. I mean, if following you on Instagram and looking at some of the stuff you do, you the mind boggles about how you do it. So there must be some specialist gear involved. Yeah, um, we've got a few different options to do. Some, sometimes we have to go back to just hand digging. Sometimes, depending on access and the type of trees. Um, but mainly, uh, we use what we, we have a, a, a couple of different machines that we use a, a trench digger on. So the trench digger will just basically rip around the tree really fast. Um, it's really fast and efficient. And that's what comes, that's what a lot of our transplanting is, has to be fast, has to be a quick turnaround from digging, lifting and putting back in the ground or potting on or, or whatever we're actually doing with our job. So, um, it's a nice fast method of doing it, rips around. Go and and uh, various ways of, of getting getting the tree out just depends on the tree really. And I suppose sometimes it, it would have to be fast because you'd be you'd be pulling trees out of things like demolition jobs before the the construction starts, so they'd probably not give you an enormous amount of notice and say, yeah. "Hey, we've got these big date palms out the front. You want to come and rip them out?" And yeah, yeah. yeah. so do you sometimes, for example, pull a tree out from a landscape for a builder or a, a designer, and then kind of park that and then bring it back into the landscape afterwards? Does yeah, that yeah, sort of do, thing happen? The, yeah, there's a whole range of things that we do. So we, we can move trees on site and move them into their um, their final location or sometimes we can actually move a tree and, and set up a – either temporarily um, put it into into site and then move it again once the site's finished so we can set set almost like an on-site nursery. Uh, it's a bit hard in Sydney because there's not a lot of room to do mm. that sort of work. But, yeah, we can do that. Or um, a few other options, we can actually just bring the tree back to our nursery, uh, hold it for however many months, weeks it takes to long, how long it takes to do the development, and and then we, we bring the trees back. So... Um, and then we can just move trees off site completely. And, and, and I, like, I know as a gardener and a horticulturalist, there's some stuff that moves really well. And I remember, in fact, um, the great Colin Campbell saying years ago that, uh, he'd had camellias in his yard that he'd moved so many times. All he had to walk, all he had to do was walk past with a shovel and whistle and they'd jump out of the ground <laughs> and follow him, you know. So there's some stuff moves well. Are there, are there some things you encounter that you've found are really tricky to move or you'll just look at and you'll say, no, nope, it just, it can't be done? Yeah. A lot of the native species, uh, obviously, gum trees and things like that, eucalypts, um, acacias. Uh, oh, there's, there's a few. There's a few out there that just a no go. Um, some of the, some of the palms now we don't do a lot more. We don't do as many of as we used to. Um, the just the, the resale for those aren't. It's just isn't there anymore. Um, and and so also things like Phoenix canariensis we're not really touching anymore because of certain diseases and things that are in, in them. It's mm, just too hard okay. to handle them. So I think sort of some of those varieties aren't aren't going to be used in Sydney anymore. But um, there's there's 
there's certain varieties of natives that can't be done, but there's also some that can be done as well. So um, like tuckaroos and um, macadamias are a really good treated transplants. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 And what's, is there something that you find is really easy to move that's your favourite that, you know, when someone rings up and says we've got a big uh, you go, oh, beauty. <laughs> Japanese maples. All Japanese maples. Yeah. yeah. Varieties, yeah. <laughs> They're really good because they can be done all year round rather than just in winter, which a lot of people think that they can only be done in winter being a deciduous tree, but they transplant really well. I, I remember many years ago working on a landscape job with a group of trainees and we had a Japanese maple mm. that we had to move and I said, okay, this is going to be our task. We'll, we'll go through the whole process and we, you know, trenched it out, did everything and it was fantastic until we realised that we had about half a tonne of root yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about eight of us had to try and move 20 metres that, to the other side of the, the site. That's the catch. It's that, that root ball when it's got natural earth soil it's so much heavier than, than, than you actually expect it to be. And, you, and, and the initial lift is usually the issue getting, you know, two or three ton of lift out just to lift a 500 kilo tree just to get pry it out of the ground is usually the hard part of the job. So, yeah, that's yeah. a, that's an enormous task. Mm. Absolutely enormous task. And as I mentioned before, you know, sometimes you must park trees, but you guys must have an enormous nursery. I mean, do you, do you have a big growing space where you, you keep stuff in reserve and, or, or, yeah. it, does it, does it tend to cycle a bit faster than that? Oh, it, it doesn't cycle as quick as I'd like it to. Um, <laughs> we've got a lot of trees that we've had for many, many years. Um, some of the tree, I've got a couple of trees that I remember transplanting myself when I was a young, young boy still primary school. So, um, and, you know, doing school work on holidays and things. So, oh, sorry, work on, on school holidays. Um, and yeah, so, so some of that stock can move pretty quick. We're, we're on a site that's about 10 acres under production. So, uh, we've got 10 acres, a mixture of, transplanted and, and nursery grown stock but um yeah it's not that much room but, but but we don't tend to take a lot more st- we're not taking a lot of stock at the moment yeah because, okay and where do your, your trees end up it's because I've, I've often found that fascinating when you see you, you mentioned darling harbour before i can remember when that was was being originally developed and i've found it even though i was only vaguely connected with the industry mm. then I still remember finding it fascinating that you had this construction site and then almost overnight there's it turned into a huge it's got trees, yeah. it's got landscape. Yeah. It's just absolutely yeah. amazing. And, and so, that's the norm now. A lot yeah. of the trees that we move in, are, it, it's all the norm now to put real big stock in, which is great. Yeah. Um, but all our stock goes all over Sydney, all over, and even the East Coast and Adelaide and I uh, haven't cracked Perth yet, but we, we'd like to sense that the quarantine's pretty hard over there. But, um, yeah, all over Sydney mainly. Uh, uh, all the, the high-end landscape designers buy some big stock that just that sort of instant effect, you know, beautiful courtyard trees um, and a whole range, you know. And what, what's the yeah. biggest sort of thing you've ever moved? Oh, um, quite a few years ago we moved uh, – well, we actually got a site at Oberon as well where we do cold climate trees um, and it's a bit more of a hobby. We don't do a lot of stuff in there, but we did move uh, a 15-and-a-half-metre sequoia, oh, Sempervirin, wow. which came up at about 11 tonnes. So. <laughs> There was a huge <laughs> sleepless nights attached to that, but it was it oh. was it was a great reward when it when it moved, transplanted really well, and it went all the way down to Melbourne, um, and and took took off. Yeah, it looked really good. A couple that's, of years later, it was stunning. Yeah, so. That's just enormous. Yeah, and and I believe your trees don't just get used in landscapes. You get all sorts of weird and wonderful requests for where your plant stock gets used. That it's not just. Things like landscapes that it gets used for props and styling and all sorts yeah, of yeah yeah we've been doing a little bit of that um, lately we've, we've put a lot of trees in I think ever since the Royals had their trees in there there was it um, Char- uh, not Charles the the other the other uh, the younger uh, 
William or, or yeah Harry yeah, and Harry, Harry and Meghan yeah, yes, yeah, yes yeah they put some trees into their into their church service and all of a sudden everyone wants Everybody to put trees, wants trees. In there. <laughs> there's church services and and um, yeah we do all all that sort of thing uh, even like uh, uh, a couple of the movies a few years ago we we put a heap of trees in for those sort of things as well so yeah whole range of requests for our stock so that's brilliant isn't yeah, it and people yeah. people think it's all just tiny little trees mm. and what's your most difficult install that you've ever done or the weirdest sort of install that you've done oh we we moved some long time ago now we moved some uh, big phoenix pines about six seven meter trees into a site that was on the water so we used a crane on a barge to move these trees in and we had to play around with tides and we only had a really <laughs> short window and it was very stressful but um, the job's done and every time I drive past, I, I, I think one of the bridges there, I can sort of pop my head Still down and have it. a look and see, see it. You can't see it from the road. Yeah, a bit so hard to put the jacks down to proper yeah, barge, no, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and every time that the that another boat would come flying past, it would the tree would all of a sudden go up and back down again and it was – Extremely hard, but uh, we did it. Would have been would have been yeah. challenging. So you got a couple of quick tips if folks wanted to move a tree at home. A couple of quick tips for for moving and for aftercare of a, a tree they moved. Um, yeah, the, the the mainly the problem with with transplanting is access. So if you can get access to the tree, um, having sort of a car space area to get to get up to the tree to transplant it. Um, other than that, uh, make sure the soil's nice and moist, not too wet, not boggy, but wet enough for the for the root ball to hold together. Uh, that's about it, really. That's and then and then aftercare is just water. Yeah, just water, watering. water, water. Yeah. Ninety probably ninety percent of our our issues that we have with with moving stock and planting stock is the aftercare of watering, and that's pretty much it. Marone Mayot from Alpine Removals. Thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks, Adam. See you again soon. Gardening by the moon with Milton Black. Hi, Milton. How are you? Very well, Jenny. Thank you very much. And what a wonderful time to be in the garden. In the the middle of winter. In the middle of winter. Absolutely great. But the thing is that you've got to watch in the garden. You know, don't forget, this is the month where you've got to spray those roses and look after the fruit trees and watch the fungicides, Mm -hmm. do your pruning. Now, this is the first quarter of the moon and it's in Libra. Now, Libra's a very fertile sign, but when there's uh, a first quarter of the moon, it's a no-no plant day because here we've got the sun and the moon uh, clashing together so it's no good for plants because they feel very sick when you plant them on a a first quarter or the full moon or the last quarter so get your garden ready today and then on the 10th the 11th and the 12th the moon is actually moving into Scorpio on the 10th and stays there until the 12th that is a fabulous time, absolutely fabulous time for all above ground crops. Now, if you're doing your veggies, of course, this is an excellent time to put in your broad beans and your beans and your peas and your rhubarb, you know, your strawberries and asparagus, anything that grows above the ground. So from the 10th to the 12th, all your plants that grow above the ground, including your shrubs and flowers, perennials and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Then the moon enters Sagittarius on Saturday the 13th, and it's there till the end of um, um, Sunday the 14th. So those two days, you can have a little bit of a rest, but oh, that's two days, two days if you want to. You can do a little bit of light pruning on those days, just a little bit of light pruning. But what I would advise, the moon is going into... Um, Capricorn, which is also a semi-fertile sign on the 15th, that's Monday. So over this weekend, if you've got any transplanting to do, I would suggest you pull those old trees out or shrubs and do some transplanting on Saturday and Sunday. And don't forget to give them a nice 
big hole before you put them in mm-hmm. and make sure you put a little bit of sea salt or something like that in a bit of fertilizer once they're in and uh, give them a good water because when the moon goes into Capricorn on the 15th, uh, the 15th and 16th again is where above ground crops uh, you should plant like your, your cabbage and your cauliflowers, etc., and and your perennials. But those are all above ground days. And those transplanted uh, shrubs and trees and out of the seed boxes as well will come into a nice connection here with the moon. Now, the moon on the Wednesday, the 17th, is a full moon. Now, this is uh, going to be actually a, an eclipse month this month. So oh, we've right. got... We've got a, a lunar eclipse there. And, of course, uh, this puts a very serious aspect over the garden. And you've got to be very careful on eclipses because weather can change very quickly, you know, from cold to hot to hot to cold and all sorts of things, rain to snow. So definitely no planting, no uh, gardening at all on the full moon on the 17th of July. Okay. Now, after then it goes into Aquarius on the 18th and 19th. Now, those are two negative signs there in Aquarius. So the 18th and 19th, just prepare when the moon goes into Pisces, which is a very fertile sign on the 20th and the 21st and even into the 22nd because the moon doesn't go into Aries until 8 o'clock on the 22nd. So Saturday, Sunday of the 20th and the 22nd, you can now put in your below-ground plants. So you can put your seed potatoes in and uh, you can put your beets, anything that grows under the ground, your turnips, anything that uh, uh, onions that grow under the ground. So those are your best days for, for this two weeks is certainly going to be the 20th and the 21st over that weekend. And on the 22nd, you can plant right up till 8 o'clock at night. So the moon doesn't go in till, uh, to Aries until that time. But Milton, so it's, it's still dark on, in, on July. At that, at oh, all you've got to do is get your torch and go out there with your torch, Jim. Right. It's really good. Stick one on but my head. Yeah, but it does get it does get dark very quickly. But, um, you know, I always look at it this way too. You know, the best way... Uh, to garden, really, is to put on a wide brim straw hat and some old clothes, have a hoe in one hand, a coal bear in the other hand, and get somebody else, such as your wife or someone, to do the digging. Oh. That's how I think it's a good good. But uh, but actually, it is a good couple of weeks for, for the garden. And just remember, we've got the pests of the month this month coming up. is going what? to be that little mealy bug. That ah. little mealy bug is yes. a real nuisance. But this is uh, the best days to spray really is going to be later in this month. Fantastic. All right. Thanks very much, Milton. We'll talk soon. You're welcome. Well, that was a great episode, don't you think, Jenny? Yes, I do. And we'll be back in two weeks with more Garden Chat. But in the meantime, Adam, where can people find you? Oh, the best way is to just search me up on YouTube. Put Adam Woodhams into YouTube and I'll pop up. Not the guy that does fast fours and rotaries. I'm the guy that does gardening and landscape and all sorts of DIY stuff. Fantastic. And if they want more garden inspiration before the next episode, follow us on Instagram at BHGAUS. If you enjoyed this episode of Garden Better, please take a moment to rate and review the show. It's the best way to help other garden lovers find us. Thanks, Jenny. See you next time. Sure. See you then. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.